This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster, and this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. This week, I can't believe it, we are going to review Star Trek Picard, episode 301, The Next Generation. So before we do that, we have got a lot of news to cover because we have been busy for the last few weeks. So let's start with a little uh, discovery news, courtesy of Tig Notaro's Don't Ask Tig podcast, because she had Wilson Cruz on as a guest. Did you have a chance to listen to it, Tony, or, or no? Yeah, I think I covered most of it, certainly all the Star Trek parts. I mean, it's a great discussion. I love Tig and I, I like Wilson. I love hearing about what life is like on set and the game night and how Tig has kind of tried to join in on the fun and and that's all fun but that's not what the news is no the, the news was like a weird casual <laughs> you, at the end you know the usual like oh do you have anything to plug and he's like this thing and that thing and he goes and obviously you know the fifth season of star trek discovery is coming out in the spring i think you noticed it first like wait Really? Yeah, I was happily listening to all the advice they were giving, which I really enjoy on that podcast. And then he just throws that out there. And I'm like, well, that, what the spring? Because we we knew that it was going to be this year, but we assumed it would be later. It was the last show to wrap up shootings. So we sort of were thinking of that as the order. But now it looks like it's going to come a lot sooner, probably. I mean, if he's right, then then and it's spring, then it would be after Picard. Discovery season four preceded season one of Strange New World. It's just that season two of Strange New World's production preceded the production of Discovery season five. So, you know, I guess Paramount doesn't care about that. Um, my only question is, can they finish the post-production? They only wrapped in November. You know, with season four, they had to go on a hiatus because they couldn't catch up. But hopefully that's enough time. With the AR wall, they do a lot of post earlier on. I mean, Paramount has a lot of programming now, yeah. um, you know, with all the Taylor Sheridan shows and everything. So it's not like the old days where they had like a couple Star Trek shows and like two other things. Now, we combine this news with other news, which is that Paramount also confirmed that. The, so, so the Wilson Cruz thing is a, let's say, probably news because Paramount's only said it's coming this year. Right. And he said it. I mean, it, he could have said it because he, that's what they've told him or he could have said it because that's what he assumes. Just to yeah. be fair. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly. they were just having a very casual, fun conversation. And I definitely recommend that people listen to the podcast because it's fun. But there is a logic to it because, it, you know, that's how it was before. Yep. And it's been, a, I mean, they really debuted season four in November 2021, actually. So it does make sense for them to go sooner rather than later. Yeah. So the other news is that Prodigy is now confirmed for this year. Before it was a maybe or possibly a probably, but now it's a definitely. So that means all five shows were getting roughly 50 episodes. I was so happy to hear that because I was thinking I couldn't go that long without New Prodigy. I mean, I don't know what I would do. Yeah. <laughs> I'd start like helplessly acting out new episodes I made up with hand puppets because I'd just be so desperate. So this is good. You know, the 2024 continues to be a big question mark, but 2023 is going to be packed with Star Trek on Paramount+. Plus. Just a side note, season one is on Blu-ray. The first half of season one, Matt's review went up on the site this week so of uh, Prodigy. So check that out. And speaking of Blu-rays. So Strange New Worlds season one is coming to Blu-ray, regular old Blu-ray in March. 
But this week it was revealed that it's also coming to 4K HDR Blu-ray, which is kind of a big deal. It's, it's not going to come out till May on this format. This is the first time a Star Trek show is coming out in 4K HDR. A bunch of the movies have come out this way. All the JJ movies, the first six TOS movies, and we think the four TNG movies are coming out this year as well. But a lot of TV shows, not just Star Trek, don't get this. So this could be the beginning of Star Trek shows also getting this super high fidelity, wonderful format. And I would assume that they're checking to see how well it sells before making decisions about other shows, other seasons. Yeah. Yeah. I need to check. I don't think it's possible with Picard based on how they shot it, but it would be possible for Discovery and Strange New Worlds future seasons and uh, maybe whatever the next show is. I'm not sure they would bother doing it with the animated shows. I'm not really sure there's there. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, there probably yeah. isn't. Um, but it's already available for pre-order if you want to reserve your copy. We have links up on the site for all that, as well as uh, details on the bonus features and all those kinds of things. And it's coming on old DVD. Anyone out there with the DVD player? Your regular old DVD player. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they exist. People like them. You know, whatever. Sure. You know, whatever floats here. Well, I have a Blu-ray, regular Blu-ray. That's fine. Yeah. It's something. It's something. Um, <laughs> there's a little other Strange New Worlds thing that was, it's kind of a marketing thing for the Super Bowl. And if you're outside the U.S., I mean, the Super Bowl is the biggest thing. So think of World Cup, like 100 million viewers and Paramount bought a 60 second spot, I think, or they spent a lot of money on this and to promote Paramount Plus because it wasn't on CBS, it was on Fox. So they had to give Fox millions. And it was all about Sylvester Stallone with some other people and Captain Pike and Mariner all on the Paramount Mountain. It's so crazy when you think about it. Like, the ad with Sylvester Stallone and Captain Pike and Mariner. <laughs> <laughs> but it works. It was fun. But it just shows how, you know, when they're picking a Star Trek person to put on up there with Sylvester Stallone, it's Pike. So once again, that's their main show now, I think. Yeah. forward. And it's our first crossover, right? Yeah. It's a taste of the crossover to come. <laughs> <laughs> and it's actually a funny ad, by the way. It was. Sylvester Stallone's funny. And uh, so knew? it was good. Who knew? <laughs> I did not know Sylvester Stallone could be funny. So let's talk about the Star Trek Four project again. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Jackman, who left the project in August, is out promoting an Amazon TV show. So people are asking about Star Trek. And the way he says it is, is that he left the project because... Marvel offered him this Fantastic Four project, which is going to start shooting next year. And it was too big of an opportunity. He mentioned scheduling as part of the problem with the Star Trek movie. So it sounds like he was just didn't want to sit around and wait. And so he's going to go work for Marvel again. And it sounded to me, although he wasn't explicit about it, that there's this maybe thing that we don't know when it's happening and then a sure thing. So he went with the sure thing. And it's a short Marvel thing and a big yes. deal. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And in another interview, he this one was with Collider and they asked him, like, you know, why not do small budget Star Trek movies? And he basically said, you know, once you're in space and once you have this crew, meaning the cast, um, you know, he said they cost a lot of money. He said, you know, you're 
you're just in tentpole and that that's, you know, Paramount is still thinking about building the Star Trek audience, not just catering to a, you know, the, a smaller core audience. And he said the movie still, he can't talk about it because it's, this is kind of the big news, apparently, is he said he can't say anything about it. Because remember, like Noah Hawley, other people have talked about their dead Star Trek projects. <laughs> they're, they're cold, dead Star <laughs> Trek projects. Yeah, the, the guy who wrote the one for Tarantino, he spilled all the beans. But um, Shackman said, no, no, this is, I can't say anything. This is still happening. It's just not happening with him. Now, th- this week marks the one-year anniversary of when Paramount announced that they were <laughs> going to start shooting the project in the fall, meaning last fall. So that never happened. Yeah. I still think their biggest hope, I think they need to rethink the Nicolas Cage idea. Yeah, I, I, I still I, think if you want a mainstream Star Trek movie, that and that is how to do it. And you create a completely new character. I mean, we talked about it, but, but they, I still they've think got, that's a good you know, Everything I've heard, they've got a script. It's a good script. It's all about money. And, and, and there's issues possibly with Abrams and what his connection to the movie is and and, you know, is he going to direct the movie? Is he going to produce the movie? Is someone else going to produce the movie? So it's money and politics and people's schedules. It's like a perfect storm that is holding this thing up. But I still believe something's going to happen. I just don't know when. Well, I admire your optimism. It's almost certainly not going to be a 2024 project. But, you know, that's... No, a, I don't... I don't. Yeah, that doesn't seem too late. It's possible late 2020. But it's, you know, it's 2025 at this point, which is... Nine years, which will be certainly a record. <laughs> there is some kind of real movie news from IDW. Yeah, this is kind of cool. I mean, you know, I don't, I'm not a big comics person, but this sounds kind of cool. They are creating a new comic book miniseries coming in May called Star Trek The Motion Picture Echoes. It's set immediately after Star Trek The Motion Picture. First time they've done a comic in that era. So, you know, the artwork that we're seeing already is all, you know, they're all in those motion picture outfits. And it's written by a guy named Mark Guggenheim. You may or may not have heard of him, but he's big time Hollywood producer and writer who's on the arrow where he created the arrow and legends of tomorrow and a bunch of other things. He also has written for DC and Marvel, but he's a big Star Trek fan. But this is his first time doing anything for Star Trek. The description of the plot says that you know the, the, that some people come from another universe and interact with the motion picture crew. I don't think it's the mirror universe. I th- maybe it's the Kelvin universe. They don't say, but you know, there's some universe hopping going on with this comic book. So yeah, from the description, it says things get infinitely more complicated when these newcomers to our reality remove their helmets, revealing that they're doppelgangers of our beloved heroes. Yeah. So that is. Interesting. Very. So this is for international fans. If you're in the USA, you could like skip ahead a minute. If you're subscribing to Paramount Plus outside of the USA and Canada, you can watch Star Trek Picard and Lower Decks on Paramount Plus. They used to only be available on Prime Video, but they cut a deal where they're now available on both, which is cool. And if you're in Europe and you're not in a Paramount Plus country, Sky Showtime will finish rolling out by the end of this month to Spain, Central, and Eastern Europe. And that has Strange New Worlds and Prodigy, but not Discovery. And I'm hearing they don't have Prodigy in every country. I'm still trying to get that confirmed. It might just be a delay on the dubbing. 
is what I've heard is Prodigy has oh. been delayed due to dubbing in some countries because they do offer these things dubbed in local languages and, you know, your Macedonians and, you know, Romanian and cool. all that stuff. Okay, let's switch to Picard stuff. Obviously, there's so much. Everyone's doing interviews. You did interviews. Magazines are doing interviews. They're appearing on shows. We've both been to events. Like, there is a lot going on. <laughs> so there, there's some good stuff that we have up on the site that if you haven't checked it out and you've already watched the episode, this is the kind of stuff that would help contextualize or add some detail to things. For example, Terry Metalis revealed who all the bridge crew is and their names and their races and some details about them. Cause you don't really get that in episode one or you hear the names, but unless you got closed captioning on, you know, you don't know who's who in the bridge crew. Uh, the, the kind of mystery one is the highlight Hylian, which is the kind of random during Lori's and my, um, you're going to be hearing our review later. We recorded it before all the stuff was revealed and we were guessing on some of the, the yeah. you know, uh, random forehead aliens. Um, so all the details in the article. And he also answered some other questions on social. I think that's what a lot of this stuff was from. Terry Metalis said, people keep asking about Kate Mulgrew. No, she's not going to be on it. She's pretty booked <laughs> on other Star Trek. But he said there will be other voyagers out there. Um, so we can definitely expect to see some Voyager characters. Voyagers, wink, wink. <laughs> Voyagers. I mean, who could it be? I mean, it's Picardo. What do you think? Oh, what's my guess? Yeah, I, how could they resist Picardo? Yeah, because it's it's he's the easiest one because he's the EMH and you can just pop him anywhere. They can't do Chakotay for obvious reasons. Terry's got to want to do a Captain Harry Kim. He worked on Voyager. And it's the kind of low-hanging fruit out there to finally give him the promotion, right? Well, that's what I was going to say. Like, fans are asking for it. Terry does think like a fan in a lot of ways and so would possibly want to fulfill that. And he was also, uh, he did a great in-depth interview on the Delta Flares podcast where he talked to the two guys and they were so excited hearing his whole story of how he's now a showrunner and started as a VA, which they, of course, knew him back in the day. So I would love to see that, actually. I just, I, I mean, could Garrett not spill the beans is the question. Yeah, the fact that it hasn't leaked makes me feel like it's not happening. Yeah, um, <laughs> so. I, I feel like he would have just hinted at maybe but he's you know maybe he is if he was told like you cannot blow this then he wouldn't blow it so i don't know and it could be a guest star you know because he you know moriarty kind of person you know so it could be something like that so uh there's a special version of the ready room they're, they're, they're going to be releasing ready room episodes with each episode but there's a kind of prequel as it were they put out called the final mission and it's just really good and there's a link to it on the site it's just worth watching and there's interviews with terry and members of the cast and there's some behind the scenes footage and it's cut in with some next gen stuff so it's just it's another thing that's worth watching it's really well done i thought i really enjoyed it and they did a nice trying to connect the dots between tng and picard um which is you know, not that challenging, but <laughs> but the packages were put together really well. And they so they showed it at the big uh, premiere in L.A. that you were at, Tony. Another possibly even more intriguing thing is remember the Star Trek logs, the kind of official Instagram thing. So like for Prodigy, 
Aaron Watke did those every week. You know, they've been going on for Discovery and Lower Decks, and they're really fun. But they're not doing them like that for Picard, where they're going to put them out every week. They released 12 logs all at once the weekend ahead of the premiere, covering each character along with the Enterprise, meaning all the Enterprises, including the Enterprise F, (laughs) and the Titan, and La Serena. And there's just a lot of really good little tidbits about what these characters have been up with, hints about season three. The Titan thing is, you know, kind of tries to explain how it's both a refit and a new ship. Which still makes no sense, but whatever. I know. That makes some people very mad. Uh, but Terry wrote the one for the Titan, which mentions that the uh, that the first one launched under the command of Captain Savick. Yeah, so that's a fun little tidbit. Yep. The, the most intriguing tidbit in there I found was in the lore card. That one ended lore story saying he was going to be stored at the Daystrom Institute, both his mind and his body. and a big plot point, and we don't talk about this in our upcoming review because this thing came out after we recorded it, but Rafi's storyline is about Daystrom and a, and a theft at Daystrom. Yep. And as soon as I saw Daystrom attached to lore, I'm like, oh, there's something there, maybe. Bing, bing, bing. Yeah. I have no, I have no idea, actually. I haven't watched that far ahead on the season, so I could be totally wrong about this, but feels like a connection to me. So check all those out and read all the details uh, for clues or just for fun bits of closure. And then in terms of a big pre-Picard events, you were actually at the big premiere in Los Angeles, right? Yeah. I mean, it's been a while since they've, I mean, they did this for season one and for discovery but during the pandemic they didn't do these big events first they did like these weird virtual ones then they did them kind of these smaller parties this was like a big hollywood thing it was at the chinese theater so it was great random celebrities were there and influencers and most of the cast terry alex there was an after party it was a lot of fun i had a lot of fun looked amazing Um, and i brought my brother And he got me into Star Trek and he's kind of perfect for this show because he hasn't watched the first two seasons and he was just riveted. Oh, that's great. I'm not surprised, but that's great. And also I went to like a New York screening that had some of the cast members there and watching it on a big screen in a room full of people is such a different experience from sitting by myself. It was, and especially I'd seen the first episode already, which is what they screened, but it was so gratifying to hear people laughing at the funny lines and clapping when things happen and, and responding. You could hear and feel everybody responding. It was, it was electric. It was wonderful and exciting to hear people appreciating it so much. There was a lot of laughter. Yeah. At the LA screening. I interviewed a lot of people on the red carpet. You know, no one had anything spoilery to say. I mean, maybe the only, you know, Michelle Hurd talked about how she's a super spy, which we kind of get in episode one. And we guessed during our review, she kind of, you know, says it without saying it, that she works a lot with Michael Dorn. So, yeah. yeah. She also said she does her own stunts, which I find impressive. Um, She and I are the same age. (laughs) <laughs> so I was like, wow, that is very cool. <laughs> and she said it was important for her to carry on the kind of addict storyline, which we get a hint of in episode one. Um, but I, you know, I feel like this is going to be a thing for her uh, during the season. 
Uh, well, the thing she really didn't want to do was make it seem like everything's fine now because a recovering addict is still an addict. And so she wanted to be clear that there's always still a struggle, that it's an everyday struggle and not something that you get over and, and just move on from and it doesn't bother you anymore. So I'm I mean, obviously, that was important to everyone. Um, the writers also. But I agree with her. You don't want to gloss over something like that. She and everyone I talk to is interested and excited about the idea of doing more, maybe more Picard, maybe another show, but something. And this, you know, Patrick Stewart, everyone I talked to was emphatic about it. No hemming and hawing. No, I wait to see the script. They want more. Like when I talked to Gates, she said it took a while. She had to talk to Terry about where they were going and then she was very excited and I said well what if it was like insurrection or nemesis she said, I wouldn't have done it yeah she'd want to just be a device for other people to have a story and I mean this has been such a great time for Dr. Crusher like she turned up on Prodigy and and then Gates has a, a, a Star Trek related podcast so it's been a great resurgence for her and I have to say I think for everybody in that cast especially just seeing some of them live the other night they're re-embracing of Star Trek has been delightful. And I think they've all realized how much fun they had and they're, they all just want to keep it going. She also narrated the uh, center seat documentary. Yeah. So she's re-immersed in the Star Trek world. And I, I feel like there was a time a long time ago, maybe where people wanted just a little bit of distance. And now they're just, they're all in and they, appreciate the fans so much for wanting this and it's just it's a beautiful thing to see as far as i'm concerned i pressed terry on okay so like is there a thing called star trek legacy are people talking about it? are there meetings and he said no you know it's up to the fans but he wants to do it everyone else wants to do it but i guess they're you know it's a wait and see how the season goes and see how the fans react but there is no active development of a spinoff fans do want it and will want it he specifically mentioned seven i i it's reading between the lines he wants to do a show on the titan i'm guessing and seven is going to be captain probably <laughs> um and rafi's probably somewhere and you know half half the people you see on picard season three if not more of them are going to show up yep and Patrick Stewart would maybe, you know, hover in and out every once Just in a while. Pop in from time to time. <laughs> Check on everybody. Yeah. Do an inspection with his scowly face. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Terry said for this season, you know, getting back to Beverly, said that was kind of the biggest thing for him to crack was Beverly's story. I think, you know, weaving it into the season. It's definitely not what she was afraid of, which is, you know, I think she might not be in every episode, but her story kind of drives the lot of the season i think yeah it's about time that's all i have to say to that <laughs> and you talk to frakes too it's just always great to talk to frakes yeah. uh, <laughs> we get this into this in, in our review but he was real excited about how even though this is kind of nostalgic really what's going on with with the jonathan and patrick the the Riker and picard thing is just it's a whole new thing. And he just he, he was just really excited about playing this entirely new dynamic, both the buddy cop side of it and the tension, which he said we haven't seen that yet. But we know that's coming, that they're going to be yelling at each other at some point. 
And I, I tried to press him on this whole thing of like, because he joked. I mean, it kind of made news when he told me, oh, I emailed J.J. Abrams. And but I couldn't get anything more out of that. It just sounds like, you know, he'd love to do it. But I don't think that's, you know, there's anything. I don't actually. think anyone's calling. No. Which is sad. I'd love to see him do it. I think depending on how the season goes in terms of audience, it could open up just so many new doors in a lot in a lot of different ways. I think. And who knows if they could find their way back into the movies. I don't know. Or if he will get to direct something, he should. He talked about uh, directing on the shows and how he was been t- he's been told to shoot to thrill <laughs> per Alex Kurtzman. So you watch the show and it's, I mean, we all, we saw it on the big screen. It looks like a movie. It's beautiful. The directing is, and that first episode is amazing. Yeah. He directs three and four, but yeah. They're all kind of given the same direction. And yeah, it's it's feature film. Yes. And I really thought of that as I was sitting in the Chinese theater to say, you know, I've been to events where they show a TV show on a big screen. And no, this felt like I was watching a movie. There was, no, you know, it sounded, yeah. the music, everything. There was no, you weren't out of sync sitting there in a movie theater watching this. You know what else was really cool watching it was I thought by the time I was sitting in that theater watching it, I'd already watched the first episode three times for our purposes. And it goes so fast. Like you'd think if you've seen something three times, you're just sort of sitting, checking out the audience because you've seen it already. It just whips, but it moves so well, that first episode, which we'll get into in our review that we recorded a while ago. Here it is. Okay, so it's time to talk about the next generation a title of the first episode of season three of star trek picard that you actually see on the screen yes like even that already i had a smile on my face because it's about time they started putting those titles back up i also like what they did is they they moved the credits to the end yes there's still a title card thing but it's kind of more what they're doing with the marvel shows now and the credits go on forever. But thank God it's at the end because they would take up quite a lot of time and everyone would skip them. But hopefully people watch the credits because they're very interesting. Yeah, and they were they looked nice. They were fun to watch also because they were visuals. But even the old shows, I used to think the themes were too long. As beautiful as they were, I was like, oh, it takes like three hours to get to the actual show. Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Next Generation, all too long. Enterprise is a whole other story. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's some clues in the credits. We'll probably end up doing an article on that on the site. Yeah, I need to watch the credits again. The main thing that was a callback was right at the beginning, which, of course, was the in the 25th century. Yes. What he's really recalling here is going back to the movie era. Well, there's a lot of movie era stuff in here. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the irony is this is about the next generation, but it harkens back to the TOS movie era, which I think is... It's because Terry fell in love with Star Trek through those movies, I think. And I think you could just sense that all over this. And I'm not, you know, that's, that's a good thing, I think. Well, that's what I think, too. So as I, because, you know, I'm the one who's always so nervous about fan service and all of those things. But there is a big difference between throwing something in and and doing a tribute to something because you love it and evoking something because you love it. And all I felt as I watched this was the evoking of it. Like I love those movies too. And so I appreciated all those nods, big and small, because it came from, I I hate to be so judgy, but I'm just going to go ahead and judge. It came from the right place. 
but even little things that feel like Easter eggs, I think, you know, for example, the boatswain whistle, which we talked about when we did the trailer analysis, there's a reason behind that. There is a, it's not just there to be there. And it's not just there to like, oh, look, it's, you know, I remember that. It's there to evoke, as you yes. were saying. Yes. What's happening here with any first episode is, and especially with Picard, is we are seeing the show transform again. And so there's a lot of things done in this episode from the credits and the style to say, this is a new chapter of Picard in the three years of Picard. And there's, there's a lot of things here that are different. They're resetting not just the characters, but the tone and the style and everything. And it was all done very well, I think. I would agree. And I think also the themes, I feel like this is already about something. Well, there's some recurring themes with Picard, themes of memory and family, I feel like. But, you know, what are you referring to specifically? I feel like it's an attitude of as you age. So it's about a bunch of things. And, and you know, we've talked about passing the torch to the next generation, but it's also about Picard says very clearly, like, I'm, it's not, I'm not about legacy. I'm about looking forward and I want a new adventure. And so I think it's this acknowledgement of the legacy and the stories and the history, but also a moving on and moving forward at the same time, which is a great thing to talk about in Star Trek itself, because we have all these stodgy fans who actually just want things the way they used to be. And I think the point of this is the way they used to be is great and fun and moving forward is really important and acknowledging who you are, where you are. So I got all of that from multiple scenes, multiple conversations. Again, like Star Trek two and Star Trek, the motion picture, they're very much acknowledging that these characters are getting older. Yes. And in funny and wonderful ways. So they're not pretending to be, swashbuckling young guys running right. around the galaxy. But you can still have, you have a different kind of adventure when you're older. And they, you know, and Picard is like, I don't want to just be, you know, Lara says to Picard, there's a time when, when a person just looks back. And he's like, I don't, that's not what I want to do. Yeah, there's very much a message in that whole scene of, that's not what this show is about. And that's not what this season's about. There's so many layers to that scene going on yeah we could dive into the details we'll get to beverly in a second but i think the laris thing is very interesting basically as i say you know this is a reset season she's not going to be a big part of it but we can't forget season two happened and yeah it had its problems but the whole point of season two was a transformation of jean-luc picard as a person and his self-exploration and that was very evident at the beginning and throughout that he's a freer person He's a more open person and he's definitely in love with Laris and they showed that and they showed a trust between the two of them and a playfulness. And, you know, I mean, they could have just said something off screen like, oh, Laris is on, you know, whatever planet. But I'm meeting her for dinner later. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, they, they were acknowledging it. And yeah, you know, they, there was some business to do at the beginning to this sounds bad to, to get rid of Laris because she doesn't play into the story they want to tell. But this was a good bridge, I feel, to because Orla is great. She is. I love her. And it's great. It did feel very much like, let's get this out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it just it had that feel of like, let's let's check the box. 
so that we don't have to deal with this part of the story anymore. But because you have two really strong actors and she's really compelling. And what I love about her character is how direct she is. So that made the scene better. When she immediately says, you, you, you even tried to be lovers, didn't you? She says to him about Beverly right away. She just puts it out there, which is great. And then he says, by the way, very tellingly, tried is the operative word. That's on purpose. Yeah, I'm still, uh, you know, well, we'll get into that later because I'm not <laughs> sure what he means by that. But let, yeah, so let's jump back in the episode because we start actually with Beverly off on her own. I like how we start in space and I, I think it's good to start a Star Trek thing in space. I would agree. Beautiful nebula because no matter where you go, there's always a nebula, right? It's so beautiful. I thought it was gorgeous. I was like, oh, it's such a lovely way to start. And, you know, and then quickly it transitions to the action, obviously. But it started languid. If you're a fan of Fallout, which you probably aren't. Correct. <laughs> um, but the music playing, any any Fallout fan would immediately recognize that music, which kind of gives you its own tone because Fallout's all about, you know, the aftermath of an apocalypse. But uh, I, I think it was, uh, we didn't get enough Beverly, but we got just enough to sense that she's in a whole new place. We got so much, I feel like. Out of that short scene, we got a lot. It was packed in because we got, we saw her belongings and the things that she's keeping on this ship with her, which we should talk about in a minute because there were some strange things there. Yeah. Um, we got that she has become a woman of action, of very quick and efficient decisions. Yeah. She is in command and she's strategic, and she's a fighter, and she has been doing this for a while. And I thought all of that came across right away. And she's become ruthless when she has to be. Yeah, she's very, very intense. And... <laughs> Understatement, yes. <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and, it was all, and there, there was a lot of mystery to it. You, know, you didn't at that point know who she was talking to. I, I don't know why they didn't show him. They made it like, who's she talking to? Why? You know, it's weird to have dialogue with someone and they show him in shadow. And like, is this a prisoner of hers or a friend of hers or what's, you know, it just, I don't know. I feel like that because that, they wanted the big reveal at the end. But, you know, why would it have been bad to just show Ed? Well, she locked point? him. No, but but it's they were telling you something about her that she immediately locked him in. And you hear him going, no, no, no. I felt like it was telling us something important about how she's operating. Because that was like the first thing she did. Yeah. So it's motivation. And I guess uh, her there's something like her ship is like the worst ship in the world. Because it takes forever to power up that warp drive. Yeah, <laughs> that seemed odd. But, you know, again, she does. she's not going to have the best ship around. No. The, well, it all it was all Starfleet, but it isn't a Starfleet ship. And I think Terry has said it's like an old Starfleet ship that I guess she... Yeah, that's what it felt like. ...bought on the open market, you know. <laughs> With her non-existent currency. Oh, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> well, no, there's money in Star Trek, you know. No, just... I know. I know. It's, it's there when they need it to be, and it's not there when they need it to not be there. <laughs> right. I mean, th th these are the anachronisms that bug you, like, you know, later when the captain talks about how the admirals are at a different pay grade. Pay grade, yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, you know, it's like, would that still live on into the 25th century? Maybe. Anyway, we digress. Yes. But it was a very intense scene, and you definitely 
saw the threat, but you didn't know what it was, except these kind of weird guys with the masks and the clicking. This is getting really into the weeds, but the weapons were really cool on both sides. They had kind of these essentially machine gun phaser rifles, and her phaser rifle was like a, a phaser shotgun. Yeah. Also doing these little blasts, and she had to rack it. All pretty cool stuff, and different to see Beverly doing that. So, And to do it with such certainty. Wasn't her first time, is the yeah. sense of getting. Not her first rodeo, as they say, yeah. <laughs> there was an element of that scene that I felt was a little like Jurassic Park in the kitchen fight scene and seeing the reflections and stuff like that. No, it's been, I haven't seen Jurassic Park since it came out. <laughs> because there's a moment where she uses the distraction and then she flanks the guy. Yes. Which is exactly what the Raptors did when the guy said clever girl. And I was thinking, she's the clever girl. She creates the distraction. And then flanks the guy. So in a sense, she's the raptor in that scenario. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we should we should move on, I think. Well, I want to talk a little bit about all the stuff that she has. Can we talk (laughs) about her stuff? Because she's got some stuff. She is holding on to I mean, just like Jean-Luc at the beginning was getting rid of his memories, his stuff. Yes. But she's she's holding on to her memories. So she has a few things that were like part Gates, part Crusher, like the the drama comedy theater masks, which to me represent both of them. I thought it was interesting that why is, does she have something that's playing his captain's log from the night before the battle in best of both worlds? Does she use that to fall asleep? I was very confused by why that would just be running. Uh, Yeah, I didn't get that at all. And she was listening to music given to her by him. Because he made her a mixtape. In lieu of wine and roses, he made her a mixtape. I mean, I was I love that detail. He calls it something else, but it's a mixtape. And the same one of the same songs was playing on his gramophone. So they yeah. were both listening to the same mixtape. Yes. But Picard hasn't forgotten all about Beverly. He probably hasn't told Laris about that. Yeah, probably not. One of the weirdest things, but again, it shows you she's kind of hardcore. There was an original series phaser taken apart on the table. Oh, nice. It was hard to tell what everything was. There was something labeled Jack Crusher. There was, you know, a, a plaque for like being an honorary citizen of the planet that they, it's from the, the episode Allegiance, which I love that episode. That's a favorite of mine. Well, I think there's a message there because that's the one where they kiss right and they dance but it's the imposter it's the imposter and she wears that i think she has that like off the shoulder number um (laughs) her point of view it was a romantic episode except she did find out that it wasn't him but i have a particular love of everything in that episode um yeah there was a hypo spray there was some romulan ale because we were just talking about this earlier these aren't there just to be there I think, you know, the phasers, she's still hardcore, but there was a hypo spray, so she's still a doctor. But her past is important to her. So there's a lot of stuff about her past um, there. And Jean-Luc is still important to her, even though she hasn't talked to him in 20 years, obviously. Unless, was there a reason she was listening to that log? Is she researching the Borg? Well, so there are multiple Borg mentions in this episode. And they're not 
it's not because they just want to have a throw. Again, I feel like everything that's been placed here is placed for a reason. And so we have multiple Borg mentions. So we have the listening to the log. We have the code that she gives, this like Hellbird code is from when he was Locutus. Yeah. And then we have the comment from Shaw. And again, going back to season two, you know, that ended with a kind of alliance with the Borg and the Borg standing guard at some conduit. So it's possible they play into this season. There's a lot of Borg hints. Yeah. I mean, three in one episode. So I feel like, and mostly about best of both worlds. Yes. Because when Shaw says his comment, I wasn't sure which one of them was he referring to seven or to Picard or both because they're both ex-Borg. He was referring to them both. He's saying you ex-Borg. That's your bond. Yeah. I think he's packing a lot in there to bring viewers in quickly and to reset Beverly. And I think that was done very well because that that's all we got. We saw her again later in the recording and frozen in her little pod. And then the one other thing to note is the name of her ship, Elios, which comes from the Greek. And it's the personification of mercy, clemency, compassion and pity. And Terry's described what she's doing as Doctors Without Borders. I don't know if there's an actual organization or if she's just, I get the sense that she's kind of on her own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The thing that looked like a cargo hold was also a bit of a lab. There was a lot of lab equipment there, testing stuff. So she's maybe researching stuff, but she's definitely doing something out there. Yeah, it's not just that she's fighting. That kicks off what is my favorite thing about this episode, which is this kind of buddy cop thing with Picard and Riker, which is a different dynamic. You don't actually get a lot of that in any, certainly not in the movies because they always split them up. But even the TV show, they'd be together, but not like this, not on their own little adventures. Right. I loved the tone of all their, I loved every scene they had together. I loved the evolution of their relationship because it seemed so real. It's tough with these guys because the actors are all such close friends. And what you, you want, I want to feel like this is the characters and not the actors. And I felt that these are the characters. This is how the relationship has evolved. They're having these adventures on a much more equal level. I mean, it's interesting that there was that throwback to allegiance because there is that key moment at the end where Picard conveys everything he needs to do to Riker with an eye movement. Yeah. So I, I do think there's a connection there, at least thematically, but their scenes were so vivid and vibrant. Like you just come alive watching them. It was so much fun. And then throw seven in it's perfection. And there's something this episode did, and this is, you know, the, both the writing and director nailed this is they, could switch tones organically. So yes, my favorite moment was, so Shaw puts them in bunk beds, which is hilarious. And Picard's like, this is so embarrassing. And it's very funny. And then, you know, immediately, you know, Riker makes a comment about having to pee because he's old. Um, (laughs) Which I just cheered. (laughs) Yeah. The one would imagine prostate problems or, you know, should have been, you know, there's got to be a pill for that or something, but whatever. You but know, you... as listen, as we listen, folks who are younger than I am, when you get older, all of a sudden you have to get out of bed every night in a way that you did not have to before. <laughs> but then Picard just starts talking about Beverly and it's like, bam, it's fucking serious and heartbreaking and calling back because there was a point earlier when Riker said, why didn't she ever talk to us again? And, and Picard just didn't say anything. It was you know, one of the strongest 
scenes because it encapsulated everything on a character level that they're doing with this season, I think, which is they're having some fun. I mean, there was a lot of humor in this episode. Oh, yeah. Like more humor in this one episode than all of season one. (laughs) (laughs) And two, probably. Yes, I was going to say, don't leave two out. (laughs) It just, you know, and, and but again, it wasn't the same old jokes. It was new jokes. I mean, and, and it is all, I mean, a lot of it relies on Frakes, obviously. He is the shining star. I mean, he is a joy to look at and to listen to. And, you know, Frakes is like that when he's on set, as we know. And so yeah. Riker is embodying that now. And he really, I, I'm so happy he's in every episode. Because if you saw him in one, and then you got to an episode and he wasn't in it, it would be very upsetting. You know, so we're on the Titan and... Seven's there, and we meet the new captain. Again, totally, you know, just this whole vibe is so different than the rest of the show. And different than Star Trek in general. You know, they are willing to go there on an imperfect Starfleet crew. But you still feel like all of them belong in Starfleet. Because sometimes when you show these imperfections, you think, how did how is this person in Starfleet? I get how Captain Shaw is in Starfleet. Well, because, you know, we've talked about the bad captains. We've talked about this before. There are bad, ineffective captains that we've seen in the movies and stuff. But he would know what to do in an emergency. And he would be able to handle a situation that came up. So, yes, he has an attitude that to me seems like it doesn't suit a Starfleet captain to have that particular attitude. But I got the sense that he was smart and resourceful and would lead we, we haven't seen how he reacts with the rest of his crew so i mean i think I, I think he has a special level of snark for seven and certainly for picard and Riker, who he definitely doesn't want on his ship he's like i've got orders i've you know i've been at this for five years i've you know meaning captain of the ship for five years been on all these missions and he does things by the book his whole speech about how he likes classical music and he had to get rid of all the jazz in the uh, database, you know, he likes order. And these guys are an element he doesn't want on the ship because it's going to ruin that order that he likes. But it's obvious that he's prejudiced against Seven. Yeah, so I hope we get some kind of explanation for how these two ended up together. Well, they were just ordered together by Starfleet and someone probably should have figured out he's not the right guy to pair her up yeah, with. Yeah, I feel like there's a story there. I'm interested in it. With Seven, I thought there was something interesting about her speech. Of, you know, I decided to join Starfleet. We got a Janeway th- call out. Yep. She said, Janeway, you and Janeway convinced me. So I thought that was good. I don't know if I'm reading too much into it, but her thing about how she thought she could be an inspiration to certain people. I think she's talking about ex-Borg, perhaps, or just different people, you know, because we've seen how she's been, you know, uh, yeah, the, the criticism and the prejudice that she's faced in the previous seasons. I mean, people in the Federation treat her like shit, basically. Right. And and have so for decades, which is why she became a ranger, possibly. Um, why she was so enamored with losing her implants when she was in L.A. You know, it's been really hard for her. And, and Starfleet wouldn't let her in the first time. She did mention that last season. Yeah. But she mentioned that Janeway lobbied for her and it didn't work. So it took the combination of Janeway and Picard to do it. To convince her, and then I presume to convince Starfleet. 
I also think Shaw is as far away from Janeway as a captain as you could possibly get. Yeah, that's you definitely know? true. He is the opposite of Janeway who believes in personal relationships with people and who believed and who gave Seven a lot of leeway a lot of the time as she was figuring things out and let her do things her way a lot, but laid down the law when she had to. And this guy is the total opposite. He does not make exceptions. He's not interested in people's personalities, especially hers. And he doesn't seem to think there's anything valuable in her. And the name thing I thought was the way she says it is weird, right? Like, cause she says he wants me to be Hanson. He probably had some bad experience with the Borg, as a lot of people did, and he doesn't want any reminders. She's a human being, and that's all he wants on his ship. There was a a curious thing of, because at the end, Seven basically defies orders and gives Picard and Riker what they want um, by, you know, changing the uh, course. Why didn't he just put her in the brig? I don't get, like, he's like, your career is over. Now give me a report. It's like, I guess it's no fun to put her in the brig at that point, but right. it wasn't like something she could get away with. She clearly. No. Yeah. She crossed a line that she knew was, there would be no going back from. We haven't really talked about Rafi. I mean, there's, there's two stories going on, which are totally unrelated, except they're obviously related. Right. Beverly is being hunted by people in masks. Who make gurgly sounds. Although there's a very important line that it's possible to miss that where the son says, uh, Beverly's son says the people chasing them have a different face every time. Oh. Because we sang, he's saying we were in this system and we were in this system and we were in this system and they keep on coming after us. And then he says, and they have a different face every time. Oh, I, okay. I think that is possibly the most important line in the entire episode. Yeah. Now, that, which I didn't hear when I watched the episode however many times. And as soon as you say it, I go, oh, no, that is really important. Especially because Beverly said, trust no one. Right. Yes. A hundred percent. We're thinking the same way. But then the, then Rafi is doing something. Well, first, when you first see Rafi and she's on her own on Metallus. Yes. Prime. This which bad was, place. Metallus Prime. <laughs> some people may think Terry did that on his own. He That was created in Enterprise. And it was supposed to be this horrible planet. And the Enterprise writer's room, back when he was a PA... Thought it was hilarious to, to name this planet after him. So that wasn't Terry. But Terry brought it back, I guess, because he's like, yeah. why not? But when you saw her, did you think, oh, my God, she's totally fallen off the wagon. She's a drug addict. What did you think was going on in that first scene? I actually immediately assumed she was undercover. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, just, I yeah. It seemed like they were. I felt like they were trying to convince me that she wasn't. But I knew that she was because it just it seemed like that would be a challenging story to try to keep up at the same time. The only thing I thought is possible is that she's out of Starfleet and on her own, kind of doing some rogue operation of her own, as it were, kind of like Beverly is doing. And that maybe she had a connection to Beverly or something like that, as opposed to a connection to Starfleet. Yeah. I just immediately assumed she was working it. She was, I I wasn't surprised when that was revealed. No, I wasn't surprised when she called up to, Say she needed more money because yes. money exists. Well, especially <laughs> it exists in the, you know, nefarious underworld that she was <laughs> operating in. I just want to say and this gets to the production design and Dave Bless and Zimmerman and the visual effects people. There's all these different environments in this episode. You got the Chateau Picard and the different and and I just thought they were 
so good at creating these different environments, especially I thought the Metallus Prime District 6, which is supposed to basically say weird CD underground, was the best way they've ever done that at Star Trek. Remember Discovery tried to do that in season one with the Orion compound? It was okay. Yeah, that was okay. That wasn't terrible. It wasn't terrible. You know, we've seen some bad attempts at this on TNG because they didn't have the budget to do it. Like when Riker goes into the CD bar with the weird elephant lady. Yep. Uh, <laughs> even the McCoy, you know, when he, he was talking to the smuggler to get to the Genesis planet. Yeah. This was, this was, I mean, it, it was very Blade Runner. It just, they really, really sold you on. This is an alien planet and these are CD people. You know, it was space. I don't know what you would call it, but it was kind of like some dark underbelly of Hong Kong, you know, kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, I would agree with that. But her thing, they made no connection, but it's obviously, you just have to guess that whoever the people, the bad guys are chasing Beverly, they're the ones who stole the thing, whatever it is. Well, they're and, right. I'm assuming that everything's connected. And they're the ones who attacked. So we now see that they have a thing against Starfleet because they attacked a Starfleet recruiting station. Right. Um, which was the Red Lady. Uh, another callback, the Rachel Garrett statue. Right. Which you knew a very long time ago that that was Rachel Garrett. How did you know? Like, you knew that the first time we saw that, you were like, I think it's Rachel Garrett. I don't know. I mean, that's so long ago. I forget why I thought that. I, I in fact, until you just said it now, I forgot that I guessed that like a year ago. Oh, as soon as I saw it, I was like, how the hell did Tony know? Like, I never would have gotten that before. I've And by the way, she very much deserved a statue. Well, I think that was, we were kind of running of like, who are famous Starfleet women? If Because we people thought it was Janeway, but we're like, it can't be Janeway. She's supposed to be alive. So process of elimination, it could be Uhura. You know, there's not enough famous Starfleet women, I guess, that would be statue worthy. Maybe that's the problem. Well, she's very statue worthy because it's not just, oh, a great officer. Like she made a huge sacrifice. She had to yeah. buy into a theory that was very hard to buy into and agree and get her crew to do it. And even though she didn't make it to the end, it's still because of her that it all, that everything was restored. Yeah. But I, you know, like the other characters, you get a complete reset of Raffi here. I feel she has a daughter. Well, th- no, that's her. I'm guessing <laughs> they didn't say. So remember there was the scene, I think, Season one, they were in a fertility clinic and her son was there. So it's her granddaughter. Yeah. There you go. Okay, cool. Yeah. I, I remember because I just remembered she had a son and I was like, when did she have time to have a daughter? But of course, they're, that's their child. Got it. Yeah. The daughter-in-law was just pregnant at that point. So this, yes. I assume, is the grandchild. Well, so is that telling us how much time has passed since then? Because that wasn't a baby. Yeah. Well, that was season one. one. <laughs> so I think it's been, I think it's been like three years since season two, but it's, they never really tell us. Yeah. I think that kid looked older than that. Anyway. I think the year is, well, this gets to a separate issue, which we haven't talked about, which is another important part of the plot, which is frontier day is mentioned 50 times. So it's obviously important. Yes. Frontiers day is a new Federation holiday. Different than Federation Day, which is the founding of the Federation, different than First Contact Day. This is the, you have to look very closely, but it's the 250th anniversary of Starfleet. Right. Which actually, if you do the math, puts it 
during the run of Enterprise, which is weird because Starfleet existed before the Federation, but decades before the Federation. So when, when Archer, there had been a Starfleet for at least 10, 20 years at that point. So it's unclear why they put the date during Archer's run before the founding of the Federation. I mean, maybe it's that first time a joint fleet action, you know, when there was the Tellarites and the Vulcans and the, the humans joined up or something like that. Anyway, yeah, that's a, a rabbit hole we could get into. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure people will nitpick that or whatever. I, I don't think that's a nitpick. I think it's obviously a conscious choice. We just don't know what they're what it's connected to. Right. We we got we got diverted. We were talking about yeah, Rafi. Let's talk about Rafi. And so her whole thing with her handler, right? So she yes. has she's yes. dealing with this person. I mean, I have I think we probably both think the same thing about who the handler is. Well, here's here's a question before we get into guesses. Do we think she knows who her handler is? Oh, I don't think she knows. Because I think she described the handler as mysterious. Yes. Now, the handler communicates via text, which is being read by her computer on La Serena. So it comes out as female, but I don't think it's a female. No, I so, think it's Worf. Yeah, it's got to be. There were a few... I mean, there were two lines, right? So the first one, as soon as it just said, speak freely, I was like, that felt warfy to me because I feel like someone else would say, you may speak freely if you want speak. There was something very efficient about that. And then you are a warrior. Yeah, it's it's warf. I mean, it's we can warf. dance around it. It's warf. It's got to be It's warf. warf. It's got to be warf. And, and this is all part of them. They just don't want to overwhelm us now. So we know warf is coming. We know Jordy's coming. Jordy got a name call. He's running yep. the Fleet Museum. Anyone else? Deanna got mentioned. She's back at home with, with the Castro. daughter. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're still married, but I guess they've got some problems, sounds like. I was very sad. I didn't, I was, that was, the, I went, no, I didn't, I wasn't happy to hear that. I mean, we'll work it out. We'll get to it, I'm sure. But it, yeah. it didn't, it didn't make me happy to hear that. And it wasn't supposed to. There was no mentions of data, you know, because he's, you know, dead. Like dead. he's been dead like three or four times at this point. But uh, still, it'd be too much to just throw them all in there. Yeah, no, they're, they're introducing, I think, at the right pace. But of course, Riker's going to be in all of them because it's Riker. He's Riker and you can't resist. I mean, the only thing with Ravi is when, when it was Find the Red Lady, of course, I had a flashback to the Red Angel. And I was like, oh, please, no. And then, alrighty, we know who the red lady is and she's gone, so we're fine. <laughs> Shoo! I feel like we dodged a bullet there because that whole red angel thing just irritated me. Now, how did some, like, low-life Orion drug dealer know about that? Who knows? <laughs> I feel like, you know, they're really leaning into those stereotypes. Like, oh, we need a drug dealer. It's going to be an Orion. Yeah. You know, I'm starting to feel bad for the Orions. Like, come on, you know? They're not all low-life drug dealers, but, you know, this one and was. And we Tendi, you know? Yeah. Poor, this exactly. is why Tendi has to fight this stereotype all the time. But there's a lot of attention to detail when you look down at his little, his little pad. The script was in Orion. Yeah. You know, around the marketplace, you'd see signs in, like, Ferengi and other languages. It's It was very good at all that kind of, you know. Dave Blast knows what he's doing. Yeah, and so specific. I love all the details and they really all just add up to they combine whether you're noticing each individual one or just if experiencing the cumulative effect, you get it. It conveys what it needs to convey and it's beautifully done and, and lovingly carefully done. And I'm so glad there wasn't a quarks because quarks is fun and that place was not fun. 
Agreed. My favorite little Easter egg was when when her handler was showing her her file to say, I know who you are. If you read, I mean, you couldn't read the whole thing, but I noticed a couple little things. Like one of the things was when she was in her crazy conspiracy lady days, you could see that she was stalking Admiral Janeway. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's fun. So Janeway got two call outs in this episode. Yeah. Well, and we know she's not in the season. One might think they're setting up a Janeway, but they're not. She's just an important person and she gets mentioned. She's got another show. She's busy on another show. Do you think there's anything to the name of her thing? She's on Operation Daybreak, which is, I guess, the the looking for this quantum tunneling technology. Right. The operation number included 1701 in it probably doesn't mean anything, but maybe it it is something connected to one of the enterprises. Maybe. That one could have been, that could go either way, right? It could be for fun or it could be because there's a connection. In most cases, I think when they mention stuff, it was for a connection, but that one could could have been either. But definitely they are setting up because they're saying Frontier Days in a week. It's you know connected to Starfleet. Everything about the Titan was connected to Frontier Day. Frontier Day was the only thing that kind of connected the two plots. Mm-hmm. So, But they seem to both be heading towards Frontier Day. So yeah, I, I'm assuming whoever the bad guys are, they are planning a kind of 9-11 on Frontier Day. That's yep. kind of where we're headed just far enough away but not too far away it's just the right amount of time distance from where we are and Riker and Picard are both supposed to speak because people want to hear old farts talk about boldly going (laughs) (laughs) that was a fun scene in the bar with the two of them and there was something that I'm not sure if it's an easter egg or not but when Riker shows up and they were at it's at um, Guinan's but Guinan's not there and they were selling ships to honor Frontier Day. And there was a lot of Enterprise Ds. The fat one. Right. Which were basically just Eagle Moss bottles because that's cheaper to just buy a bunch of those. Yeah, no, um, I know those stands so well, too. <laughs> but there's a. it reminded me of a famous story that Jonathan Frakes tells at conventions of when he went to his first convention. And he went to the dealer's room. And this oh, yeah. is before they were on. And they were giving away Rikers. You get one free Riker with every. Right. Because, and the dealer said, we can't get rid of them. <laughs> no one wants them. And, and so it just felt like maybe there's a nod there or something because yeah. Riker's like, oh my God, they're giving away the D's, you know, because no one wants the D's. Nobody wants the fat one. I mean, I liked his indignant line about it too. There was a little bit of mystery there. It's kind of a blink and you miss it. But as they left the bar, there was a kind of suspicious guy at the bar. Who was looking at them. And holding an Enterprise D and he drops the D in in his drink. But he watches them go, which, you know, one of my very few nitpicks about this episode is why did they decide to have this conversation in a crowded bar? They're going to have a conversation about some top secret thing and they're not supposed to trust anyone. So they go to a public place. So I thought it was, we got a fun scene out of it, but I just thought if I was going to have that conversation, I wouldn't be in a bar where people are going <laughs> to hear, could possibly hear what you're saying. But that guy was definitely clocking them. And did you notice the other person who clocks them? No. It's not it, in the bar. It's in the, it's when they first get on the Titan and they walk through and Picard does the little adjustment to the guy. And as they walk away, there's a guy who looks I was trying to figure out if it's the same guy from the bar. It's so oh. hard to tell 
but he does a he gives them a side eye. Yeah, I mean the trust no one thing is going to pay off. There's definitely someone on the Titan yeah. who's a bad guy. So he uh, gives them a side eye, and then I kept I was trying to compare the shots of the two. It's just you see one full one is in profile and one is not, so it's really hard to tell because. They look similar, but they could be different guys. I couldn't tell if it was the same guy or not, but it's definitely he's a bad guy. The guy standing in that row. And what's amazing about this episode, you would zooming out is there's all this great character stuff with all of these characters. I don't know if we've really talked about everyone, but there's so much plot stuff going on, too. And that's always been the hard thing for Star Trek. The modern serialized Star Trek is to balance character and plot well. And this episode, I think, did it perfectly because there was a lot of plot stuff going on and little mysteries, you know, where you're like, what's going on? But you're not you don't feel like they're teasing it in the kind of, you know, haha, we've got a mystery. It's more, okay. there's something going on here. Who's that guy? Who's that guy? What's that connection? It makes you want to watch more, which we, you know, are trying to hold ourselves back because we have access to the rest of them. (laughs) But I'm very intrigued by all of this. I mean, I have theories about what's going on. I think the line about the changing faces kind of see this. Here's the hard thing is that we know, you know, cause we, it's let's say I, I didn't know what I know from what's the pre season publicity, the connection to the dominion war kind of nails what's going on here. Cause we know right. that there's a dominion war connection. So changing faces, trust no one fallout from the dominion war changelings right kind of it just what else could it be yep why would changelings be wearing masks um you know or maybe they change masks maybe maybe that's a whole other maybe they're jempadar though i don't know i mean there's some connection to the dominion war so if the soldiers are jempadar that could be another thing like what happens to the jempadar after the war and no ketracel white maybe they but why why do their faces change i don't know Maybe they change the masks. That's what I'm thinking. No, and would they still be doing working for changelings? Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Maybe they're on the, the yeah, they'd be doing their own thing. You think they've um, had enough? Well, unless the changelings created a new something like the Jem'Hadar, but not the Jem'Hadar, you know, Jem'Hadar yeah. 2.0. Maybe that's what these guys are. <laughs> With weird masks. I mean, like the mask thing. Season two, the mask thing was just done so that we, so that we, the audience, wouldn't know who somebody was, but it didn't make any sense within the story. Yeah, which was the board queen. Of course, it's Agnes. <laughs> right, but the only reason they had masks, it had nothing. It didn't make any sense in story. It was for the audience. So in this case, I, I am trusting that there's a reason that they have masks. That isn't just so we don't know who they are. Have we talked about all the characters? We've kind of talked about all the characters. I mean, what's funny about this season is technically there are only four series regulars. Patrick Stewart, Jerry Ryan, Michelle Hurd, and Ed Spilliers, who we haven't talked about. I guess that's the one. We haven't talked about the son. All right. Let's talk about him for a minute. Our friend Ed Spilliers from Downton Abbey. Right. We still don't have a name, so we're, let's call him Beverly Jr. So the que- So the first question is, of course, who is daddy? Who's the baby daddy? Doing the math, because Picard said, I haven't talked to her in 20 years. He doesn't look like a 20 year old, but maybe they're just going to forget that. So because it's got to be, you know, and before the season started, everyone's like secret love child, you know, because all the things that that Patrick Stewart has said about she's got the secret and it's going to make him angry and excited. 
I agree, but I really don't. It's so Timmy doesn't fit with her character that she would not tell him he had a child unless he knows. And that's why he doesn't talk about why they don't speak to each other. But that doesn't make sense to me. Kirk knew he had a kid. So that was different because I could see her saying, well, Wesley left to become a traveler because we were on this starship having adventures. So I don't want to send my kid off to go do that. But this kid is an adult. I mean, it seems like the opposite because Kirk knew, but the kid didn't in that case. David Marcus didn't know right. Kirk was his father. I think this may be the opposite. I think he knows Picard's his father, but Picard doesn't know. And we'll find out later. Um, but, but there was no indication. He just said, I'm her son. Right. He didn't say, I'm your son. So he right. might not know either, assuming he is. We don't know. There just ha- there would have to be, to not make me mad, and I know they don't want to make me mad, <laughs> there would have to be such a good reason for her to do that and not tell him. Yes. And I can't think of one right now. And usually in most scenarios, I can come up with some wackadoo reason, and then I go, well, maybe it's that. But I can't think of a reason why she would go off and have a kid, have his kid, and not tell him. There's just got to be a, a very, very good reason. I have a feeling it's maybe something that they just cover in one line of dialogue. I just didn't, I didn't want to get tied down. I wanted to do this thing. But that's not enough. Beverly is a, is a moral person. Yeah, it's she not enough. She always was so driven by her conscience. Always. You know, there are whole episodes where she's just driven to do something, even when it's controversial, even when other people don't agree with her. And so there would have to be a reason. And this, I, it's very hard to think of a reason that you wouldn't tell him. Yeah, well, we have nine episodes to figure that out. Um, but I <laughs> liked it's someone I, else's kid. But I liked him. You know, he's a man of action. You could tell he knows the ship. He's kind of funny. He makes fun of them. Um, he calls them chaps. It's very British. I like that. Um, the moment when he grabbed Riker, I thought also, again, doing plot and character at the same time, is a reminder to us again, Riker's an old guy now. Because yeah. that wouldn't have happened to younger Riker. And I also, I liked that Picard figured out he was a good guy with deduction and intelligence. And again, that happens a couple times already with these guys. Like they, they figure out what she did. Like they're like, oh, someone shot this to create a distraction. And then she killed this guy. And she only would have killed this guy this way if it was really important for her to do it. And look at this residue. And what does that mean? Oh, that, that I'm sorry. I'm sorry to stop your train of thought. It's very rude of me, but. That residue is more evidence of that it's a changeling because she had she wanted to make sure first because I did notice there was a weird sparkly effect, but I thought "Ah, new effects, whatever, you know, but no, that they were making a point there. Those guys might be changelings, too, or some version of changelings because she wanted them super dead or something, but she wanted to make sure there was nothing left and or whatever's left was weird, according to both Riker and Picard. So there's something weird about those guys. And they needed, she needed them to be really most sincerely dead. And also the Jem'Hadar wouldn't wear masks because they're like proud of themselves. So <laughs> so anyway, but they figured out that that had happened, which I liked because that's like my good. They're still smart and they're still top of their game in that in the deduction way. And then Picard immediately saying someone cared for her. Someone put her in here and looked after her. This is someone who cares for her. So yeah. I, I thought that was very Picard. And the kid, you know, Junior, quickly pivoted, especially because they were suddenly under threat. 
And he's like, I'm going to have to trust these guys because I've got bigger problems. We've all got bigger problems, which was the big ship, which we know is the big bad ship who wasn't in this well, episode at all. It sure looked like a big bad ship. Yeah. <laughs> But it was different it, than the. It had a it, twirly mustache in a way. The ship. It did. <laughs> it was very. It had little pointy bits at the end. Yes. Stabby, stabby. It stabs. Let you know me. this is bad because you wouldn't design a nice ship like that. Right. But the smaller ships at the beginning were reminiscent of this ship, so they are obviously the same. Yes. Assuming shuttles from the big bad pointy ship. And the lights that you know they made sure it's like one color for the good guys and a different color of lights for the bad guys. <laughs> But I'm kind of glad they didn't, because we know the big bad is Vatic, right? Amanda yeah. Plummer. But they didn't put her in this episode, too. They put her, you know, her soldiers in and her ship at the end. Uh, if you didn't know that, you don't need to know that now, you know, because they've got nine episodes. Um, so I'm sure we're going to see her next episode because there she is. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about so many things. I think we should just get into like our nitty gritties and our nitpicks and our everything. Cause uh, I think we've covered everything. You have some favorite lines. I do have a lot of favorite lines and most of them where I, they're basically divided between <laughs> Riker and Todd Stashwick, <laughs> Captain Shaw. <laughs> right. So I loved yeah. Riker saying it's got that new ship smell. I thought that was really <laughs> funny. I mean, I just actually, it's not just about lines. I want the writing is beautiful. In this episode, yeah. it is such good writing. The dialogue from everybody is great. And none of it, even the stuff that that you know is like they're checking boxes and they want you to know this, it doesn't feel awkward or stilted. It all came from character. I thought it was great. I loved when they said, that when Picard asked if they were late and the captain says, it's just your reputation, your reputation preceded you so far into the room that I started early. Like, that tells you everything you need to know about that guy in one line. They are living legends, and he's willing to stand up to them. I love the when he when they give him the request, and he just goes, no. And then yeah. he calls their bluff. He's like, look, you're retired. You don't have a ship. I don't have to do, you know, because any other captain would be like, oh, my God, it's John LeCard. Here's what he said, and this is another one of my great lines, so I'm going to just say the whole line. He says, I'm really sorry, fellas. I love you. I do. I love reading about all of your wildly exciting and equally irresponsible adventures, but I have orders that come down from actual officers. And then he <laughs> says the pay grade line. But it's like, it's so, again, his dialogue tells you everything. about it's so, it's so well done. I mean, he's not a villain, but I, I think they've created this character to love to hate him. And I think a lot of you know people are like, you know, aren't going to like him because they like Picard. But I think, you know, in a way, like... Uh, Kai Win, you know, you love to hate her because she's just great, but so horrible. And at the same but time, she's horrible. And this guy, he's not evil. No, but she wasn't evil. Well, she went. She definitely no, she's got evil. She got evil. Okay, okay, but she you know what I mean. There's fast. some, but there's some <laughs> characters you love to hate. I think. I think this guy is a. You don't just think he's a loser captain that we've talked about before. But he, he definitely butts up against these guys, and it's just delicious to watch him do it. It is. Like, I could watch a whole hour of them having dinner and him having conversations with them. And that's the trick, right? It's like, how do you introduce this guy and make people not want to dismiss him or move on? His scenes are electric. I mean, the way he dismissed the wine. Yes. 
But he does it in a mean way because he pretends to be impressed and then delivers the line. Yeah. And then he turns on Riker and starts dissing Jazz. Yeah, he's making it clear. Like, I know you guys think you're a big deal. And I don't think you're a big deal. All all beautifully done. Yeah, he's great. I he's so he's so well written. Another line I really loved is when Riker starts to yell at Seven and is saying that he's starting to say that's not how you speak to an admiral, and she says, That's how I speak to a friend. And Riker's like, Got it. And I loved when Riker said, I like the seven. Like I yeah. I squeed from the couch. I was like, Oh yay. Like I loved it. There's something very genuine about Seven and through through this whole thing. Her character has changed um, and been reset, but it still feels very natural and a, and a kind of organic evolution of the character, for sure. No, and I liked her whole thing about Starfleet and having this... Ca- like, that exactly would create all of those conflicts within her. And that's, again, why the stakes for her, like, in a way, I don't think she cares that if she if her career is over, I don't think she cares. She's struggling and she has this captain who doesn't let her be who she is. Down to her name, she can't be who she is. Yeah. I didn't really have any nitpicks in this episode. There's something that might be a nitpick. You know, like, so so he had the the Enterprise D badge, uh, but then he used the the same code, his, his unlock code that he used in First Contact which is when they had a different badge and they were in the Enterprise E. So I thought that was weird, but um, mm. that's something like, who gives a shit? <laughs> Did you have any kind of real genuine nitpicks? Yeah, I mean, I mentioned a couple of my nitpicks already, but I think the last one is I did feel like sometimes when we saw the rest of the crew, the aliens, I hate to say it, didn't look great to me. The the, the masked the, guys? The makeup, no, the makeup and the hair on just randos in the background to me didn't look as good or as sharp as I'm used to. It really didn't catch me. I mean, there was a lot of random forehead aliens on the Titan. I mean, there were some obvious ones, um, but I'm sure they're like from random TNG and Voyager episodes. And I haven't gone through to say, Oh, that's this guy. And that's this guy. I mean, that's one of the problems is that there's so many, like why do the modern, the better version of the forehead aliens when, or aliens are so boring to begin with, you know, the Tellarites and the Vulcans. And there's a lot of interesting aliens in Star Trek, but the random forehead aliens all blend together to me that they're just all the same. Right. So sometimes I'm like, why, why bother if they're just going to be a background character, do something more interesting. There's some, you know, some interesting Easter eggs in the credits. There's, there's, they show the fleet museum and in the fleet museum is the USS Voyager, the Enterprise, the refit. You know, the first one was destroyed, but the second one was retired between Star Trek VI and Star Trek Generations. And the Excelsior and the USS Pioneer, which we never saw. Um, that was a kind of a new thing. And I'm sure there's many, many more ships there. Right. There are other little East. Like we, there was, uh, Beverly had something from Jack Crusher, like a case that must have belonged yeah. to him or something. We saw Picard's flute, among other objects from his past. Um, and we got uh, Jordy's daughter. Did we mention Jordy's daughter? Crash the Forge? Yeah. I mean, she was a fun, cute, bubbly, you know, obviously she's got an edge to her because she likes to go fast. So hopefully we'll learn more about her. But there just really wasn't enough to work off of. No, but I did like Riker the moment making where fun of her. Riker's making fun of her and Picard's going, dude, don't do that. And he's still doing it. 
<laughs> so, and then this isn't an Easter egg. It's just a moment. I feel like I have to mention that moment when Picard says to seven, you do the honor. And she sits in the middle chair and they flank her on either side. I felt there was something very beautiful about that moment for me. A little bit of a Savic pulling out a space dock, but yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah. And then, and then, and then again, this gets to the Picard is a little like Kirk in the motion picture when he's like, Oh, don't forget to call engineering. He's like, Oh, it's all automated now. Right. You know? And, and, and then that was a teed up a great, uh, Riker gag for that. Yep. This is the best season premiere of Picard. Maybe the best season premiere of modern Star Trek, I would say. Um, Again, let's say live. live a- let's 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 you know. Let's I know, clarify yeah. with live action. I mean, f- you know, I just I think we should be clear on that. But it was a very strong and promising first episode that delivered a huge range of emotion and great story stuff and great character moments, all organically intertwined and felt very Star Trek. Which is kind of the most important thing. Yeah. Onward to episode two can't wait so that was our review recorded in the past of star trek picard episode 301 and now we'll be doing regular reviews every week and let's wrap things up with the little extra bits as we always do tony why don't you start i've got another frakes related thing there's just an article on the site Uh, jonathan frakes is once again teaming up with armin shimmerman kitty swink and now john billingsley for a new drive uh, and a walk, one of those walks you could do for pancreatic cancer awareness and fundraising. And it's called Trek Against Pancreatic Cancer. And there's a link in the show notes for more. That's it. That's all I got. That's all you got. Mine is is, um, a bit self-serving, which is the fourth annual virtual Trek Con actually started on the 16th and it goes till the 20th. It's pretty cool. They have like actors, writers, producers, from the original series all the way up to Strange New Worlds. So they have people from everything. Um, Sorak Lofton and Ryan Husk are on the team that puts the whole thing together with my friend, Dr. Anne-Marie Segal. They're the organizers. Melissa Longo, people like that. So one of the things they're doing, they call it the Lappy Awards. <laughs> the Live Long and Prosper E Awards. <laughs> Happening on Sunday. And they asked me to do a pre-hype show. That's going to be on Sunday at 6.30 Eastern, 3.30 Pacific uh, with the Sci-Fi Sisters, who I love and got to see some of them the other night, and a couple of other people going through these awards, talking about who we think will win and who we like will win. And the categories are very fun. They range from serious stuff like best character arc and best finale to the most Federation moment in Prodigy, favorite on-screen musical performer, worst character to get stuck with on a turbo lift. Stuff like that. And, th- and this isn't stuff from last year. This is from the whole franchise. Yeah. So some of the categories cover the whole franchise. Some are specific to the new shows. Some are specific to the old shows. It re- Just like the con itself, it covers everything. There's just a lot of really cool programming. And it'll all be archived so you can watch it all if you miss something. And I'm excited that I got asked to participate. I think that was really nice. That was very nice. So that's it for a long episode of All Access Star Trek, covering everything about the Star Trek Picard Season 3 premiere. We'll be back next week on Friday with our review of Episode 2. See you then.